may be seated. Now I'm on. Whoa, hey, there I am. Keep turning me up until I turn it on. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about Ruth chapter 2 because uh, there's a lot going on in Ruth. There's just so many things in every line of this history that God has just sunk into the text of Ruth. And uh, so there'll be a little bit to digest, but I'm going gonna, gonna to try and not go too fast. And I'm going to try and keep it within the context of sort of painting a picture and so don't worry if you don't pick up every detail, but as you're sitting there, and again, I don't have PowerPoint because I really want this to be a narrative, as the Old Testament is, and the, and the book of Ruth is especially. I want it to be a narrative, I want it to be a story, but I want us to remember and see, and hopefully we can see with a greater depth, what God is saturating into his scripture here in the book of Ruth, because it's just fantastic. And uh, last week, you remember the Naomi and Ruth returning from Moab, a country that Really, they shouldn't have been in. So Naomi is returning, and there's this sort of deep-seated obedience, and there's this deep-seated faith within Naomi, even though everything in her life has gone against her. She's gone to a country she shouldn't have gone to. She's lost her husband. She's lost both her sons. One of her daughter-in-laws leave. But she's still returning to Israel, still returning to put herself under God where she should be. And that transparent faith of her is appealing to Ruth. Ruth sees this faith in, in spite of everything else, Naomi's hope in God, and it's attractive to her and appealing to her, and we learned that's where our hope lies, is in that transparent, sincere faith, living ourselves, our life out uh, with God before our friends and, and family and neighbors, and people will see that hope and respond. And that's where our hope lies, is in returning from whatever dark country we may have been in to constantly be returning to God and hoping in Him. And we saw the very last line of the Ruth chapter 1, was that it was the beginning, excuse me, of barley harvest. And so there was that glimmer, that foreshadowing of hope that was to come. And, uh, and so that's where we left off. And as we continue in Ruth, again, just listen carefully because there's, uh, there's details in every sentence. And it's a history that's saturated in meaning. And as we, as we read through Ruth chapter 2, what I want you to keep an eye out for is this picture of God that he's painting. He's painting for us pictures of this young woman, Ruth, and who she is, and, she's pa- and he's painting a picture of Boaz, and this man Boaz, and who he is. And, as, and he's also painting a picture, as we're reading the story, you'll get an understanding of what life is like in Israel under the law of God. And so he's painting a picture of how his law was meant to operate within the nature, nation of Israel. And, and as an expansion on that, then how his law and how his desire for us is to be worked out in our life. And he's painting pictures for us of the character and the nature of these people, Ruth and Boaz. And, uh, and, and he's painting pictures of his grace. And he's painting pictures of his mercy and his provision. And where uh, peace will come for Ruth and Naomi. The peace of Ruth and Naomi is going to come. They have hope. 
But the peace isn't there quite yet for Naomi, right? They've just gotten back. They're still widows. They still have nothing. They're hoping in God, but they don't have the peace. They don't have the security yet. But in Ruth chapter 2, we're going to see the peace and the security come. And so if you'll turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. Um, Ruth chapter 2, it's, if you're in the NIV Pew Bible, it, I checked it. It's page 280 if you're looking for it. Um, but uh, just go to Judges and keep going. And if you get to Samuel, you've gone too far. Uh, and we'll read Ruth chapter 2. I'm just going to pray before we read. Father God, thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this uh, incredible book that has been preserved for us and that we have opportunity to look into it and that I just pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal uh, to each one of us what you would have us learn. And we uh, open your word uh, in awe of your ability to communicate with us. And to uh, just impress upon our hearts uh, your love for us and your desire for all of humanity uh, from the beginning of time until the end. There is nothing uh, that is outside of your command. There is nothing that is outside of your uh, control. And, Father, it's the providence and the working uh, of these plans where we can find our peace as we turn to you. So I pray that as we read your word, we'll see... Uh, your work, even in, in this text today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean. I will pause there. To understand this, you need to know what gleaning is. <laughs> Uh, gleaning is when you would follow after the people who are harvesting and gather up the leftovers, okay? The grain and things that were left behind, that's gleaning. That's what Ruth is doing. I don't want to assume that people understand what's going on there with that sort of old-fashioned word. So Ruth says to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to him, she said to her, go, my daughter, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull some out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Yeah, you know where Boaz is going with this, right? So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epah of barley. barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her the food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, "'Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you.' So she told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That is Ruth chapter 2. Who doesn't want peace? I mean, who doesn't want a deep-seated knowledge that we're cared for? That... Circumstances that may seem out of our control are actually in control. That if we knew where our peace was to be found, I think, wouldn't we go there and put ourselves there and and sort of day by day, if we knew where we could find peace, we could move ourselves into that place of peace. And God uses this story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz as a canvas again to paint for us a picture of where his peace is found. That we can find it there as well. Peace is found in submitting ourselves and finding refuge in the place that God would have us. And our peace lies in the fact that nothing escapes God's notice, that everything that is happening in our lives, even in the most traumatic and hopeless-seeming situations, God is in charge. And God is orchestrating things that we cannot understand for our benefit and for our provision. It's His provision, His foresight, His planning, His total control over our lives if we're willing to place refuge in him. And so as we read this book here, we see the plans that God has laid out in order to show us his favor. He's given us the opportunity to recognize the grace and mercy of God, which is present in the form of Boaz, and how we are to respond to it, which is present in the reaction and the response of Ruth. And we can have peace about our future based on our deeper knowledge of God's love for us as we read this and understand that God is telling us in the story of Ruth the story of our lives, of his love for all of us. And so right off in the very first verse, we see the emergence of God's provision for Naomi and Ruth, right? It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
Now, Boaz is a relative, and it's a relative that Naomi had forgotten, because you remember in chapter 1, she said, I'm going back to Israel, and there's nothing there for me. She's forgotten that she has family. She doesn't realize, excuse me, that Boaz is still there. And he's a worthy man, literally, Gibor Kael. And Gibor Kael is used a lot in the Old Testament, but it's a Kind of a funny thing to, to use here because it's literally a hero. It's a man of renown. Okay, Gibber Kale is the Hebrew word that's used for David's fighting men. You remember David had his mighty fighting men who would do anything for him. They were sort of his elite squad. They were the Gibor Kael. And that's how Boaz is described here, that he is this worthy man. He's a hero. He's a man of renown. renown. And, and it's it's that Boaz is literally the man, right? He's wealthy. He's, you know, probably got an Olympic gold medal and a purple heart. And, uh, you know, he's one of these guys who just has it all. And he's got these fields outside of Bethlehem and he's a businessman and he's wealthy. He's a man of means and he's a man of character. He's a man of God. Boaz is this worthy man who's in in Elimelech's line and who is a relative of Naomi. And he's a man of God. In addition to everything else that he is, he's a man of God. He, he greets his employees and he says, may God be with you. And, and his employees actually respond back and they say, may God bless you. So he's a good boss, right? It's not, hey, everybody, how's it going? And then, you know, they're muttering under their breath about that awful boss that they have. He greets his men with a blessing and they bless him back. And he's obedient. Boaz did not flee when the famine came. Right? Elimelech took his family and ran away from Bethlehem. Boaz stayed in obedience to God, and he worked through the famine, and he worked through the difficulty. And maybe that's a good reason for his employees to bless him, right? Because he was there running his business, maybe when he wasn't making any money during the famine for all those years. And so he kept his businesses going in the hard times, and now he's, he's literally reaping the benefits of his obedience to God by staying in Bethlehem and maintaining his role as a man of the city. And he's obedient to the law. Boaz allows for and he encourages the gleaning of his fields. This is a law of God that the men of Israel and the people who are the, 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 the owners of businesses are to honor. He's generous. He goes beyond what's expected of the law, right? He says, let her glean even among the sheaves and you know, pull some out and give them to her. So he's an obedient man. He obeys the law and he's generous beyond that. And I I go into all of this because it's important that we understand how God is painting a picture of who Boaz is, right? And as men, we could do a Bible study, guys, just on Boaz and just being a guy like Boaz (laughs) because you're going to see the character of this guy not only in chapter 2 but especially in chapter 3, you're really going to see the character of Boaz and in chapter 4 even more so. So men, I mean, Boaz is there as a picture of Jesus. He's there for all of us to follow. But men especially, we could learn a lot from Boaz. His generosity, his obedience, he's a good boss, he's a worthy man, he's respected in the community. This is the picture that's painted of Boaz. And he's a picture of who Jesus is. He's a picture of righteousness, faithfulness, mercy, sacrifice. And ultimately, Boaz is a pre-imaging of Christ. He's a picture of a redeemer of Jesus. And in John chapter 5, it's interesting, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says to them, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. So the scriptures, the Bible that the Pharisees had at the time 
was the Old Testament. That's what they had. The Pharisees had it all memorized. They knew Ruth by heart. And Jesus says to them in John, he says, you search the scripture looking for eternal life, and indeed the scripture speaks of me. This is what he's talking about. This is it right here. Ruth is a picture of who Jesus is. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you're missing it. The picture of who I am and my expectant recoming, the coming of a redeemer is foretold for you, and you're missing it. And so we don't want to miss it. We want to realize that in the scriptures, they bear witness to Jesus. So Boaz, Jesus, this idea, Jesus is God. He's not human. We're foreign to Jesus. He came from heaven, and we're foreigners to Jesus. But Jesus has made us relatives of his, even though we are foreigners. That's what Ruth said, right? Why, Why would you show mercy to me, even though I'm a foreigner? And Jesus is also a worthy man. He's righteous. Jesus is a law interpreter and a law follower. Jesus is in good standing with God, and he has access to all of God's resources. Jesus has access to all of the spiritual wealth and all of the spiritual prosperity that we lack. Boaz is a man in good standing with God, and he has access to resources that Naomi and Ruth lack. He needs to redeem them. He has access to things that they can't get to, and so he needs to stand as their redeemer. Jesus also welcomes those who seek refuge in him. Wherever they're from, whatever background they have, Jesus includes anyone who is willing to come to his table. And in the same way, Boaz welcomes Ruth into his fields. He offers her bread and wine to commune with him. And Boaz encourages her not to seek refuge anywhere else unless she be harmed. And so like Boaz, Jesus protects us and provides for us. He welcomes anyone, even if we're Moabites, to his table. And says, don't go anywhere else for refuge. Don't go looking for redemption anywhere else. The only place you're safe, the only place you have peace is here with me. Don't go looking in other fields for something that you can't find there. And so you can see in each of these little interactions with Boaz, they're like little brush strokes that the writer is painting in there that are filling in the picture of who this man Boaz is. And Boaz is the picture of God's nature and character, especially as it's made human in Jesus. He's righteous. He's a redeemer. He's willing to accept a Moabite woman. He's a law keeper. He's obedient. He's generous. He's a Gibor Kael, a man of renown. And then God is painting us a picture of Ruth as well. As you go through these lines, we get a picture of who, who Ruth is and who we are in Ruth, of how we are to respond to Boaz and how we are to respond to Jesus. And so between the two of them, we get another picture of the utter and complete involvement in shaping the future if we respond the way Ruth does. Okay? So we have a picture here of how God is in control of everything. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. And so who is Ruth? Well, first of all, she fulfills the commandment, the commitment that she made to Naomi. So Ruth is faithful, right? She said that she was going to stick with Naomi, and she's sticking with Naomi. She doesn't lay around the house waiting for something good to happen to her. She takes the initiative, okay? She says, I'm going to go and glean. Secondly, she's humble. In verse 7, it tells the servant is explaining how she came into the field and how the servants received her, and she said, please, May I glean in your field? She just wants the leftovers. She doesn't want to assume that she has a right to them. She comes and she asks permissions of the workers to work. And so there's a humility about her to come and seek help and to work for it. And she just wants 
to come and glean. No expectation that she deserves it, right? There was another woman who came to Jesus in Matthew 7, and Jesus, she had wanted to seek after the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus had sort of turned away from her and said, you know, my, my main job here, I'm, I'm come for my people, I'm come for Israel. And she was a Gentile woman, and she said to Jesus, even the dogs come and eat the scraps of the master. And Jesus turned to her and rewarded that humility and that faith. And she realized, she said, I get it, I'm not deserving of this, but I, I just want to glean, I just want the crumbs, I just, I just want to come and humble myself and find security here. Thirdly, she's industrious. You know, she'd been working, the the servants told Boaz, she's been working from morning until now except for a short rest. And then we find out in verse 17 that she keeps on working into the evening uh, to to take care of the grain and measure it and carry it home and all of that other stuff. And so the writer wants us to admire Ruth, right? This is a romance story. If I can mix metaphors, go from a painting to a movie. (laughs) But this is like a romance story, right? The, the writer wants us to admire Boaz, wants us to admire Ruth, and wants us to consider, wow, what is going to happen here? We have this dashing prince and this, you know, this nice princess, and you know, we, we're sort of sitting at this point in the story expectantly, right? If you're in the movie theater, you're thinking, are they going to meet? Are they going to get together? Is it all going to work out? And that's exactly what God wants us to see in this story. Because it would just be so perfect if they would meet and fall in love, and, and it would just be such a great movie. And so... As you read here, you realize that that's exactly what God is laying out. That it's the providence of God. That God is in control of all of these things in our lives, even when it seems that he's not. It says, And she happened to come into the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan Elimelech. Okay, so she just went out gleaning, and she happened to come into this guy's field. Coincidence, right? And then the next verse, it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Oh, look, what a coincidence. Just happens that Boaz is coming out from the city to check on his agricultural operations, right? And so the writer is setting up the circumstances, how Ruth and Boaz and what's going on. It just happens that he's, she's gleaning in that field, and it just happens that he's visiting his workers. What a coincidence. And now it just happens that Boaz is there from the city, and it just seems like, it, you know, is it gonna ha- are they going to meet one another? And this is God's providence at work, that God is in control. What we really have here is God painting a picture of how he is sovereign over every line of history. How God is sovereign over everything that is happening in their lives. You remember the people were without a king. And they wanted a king. And everybody was doing right in their own eyes. And the camera left the big picture of judges with Gideon and Samson and all the big wigs. And it went down to this little family in Bethlehem. God was working through this little family in Bethlehem to provide Israel what Israel needed. God is always working to provide in our lives the things that we need, even if we don't see them as what God is working. That's the story that's taking place here, okay? It's not an accident that Ruth is in that field. It's not an, excuse me, an accident that Boaz is coming out of the city, that these things are happening because they're God's purpose, and this is where we get caught up, right? We, start, we try to think this through because we've watched too many of those movies where there's like time travel and, you know, all those other things. And so we're always trying to figure it out. Well, did God make Ruth do that or did she do that? And where's Ruth's will? And did, did Boaz, did he decide to do that? And you can't answer that question. God works our will to his purposes. 
okay? God didn't make Ruth choose that field necessarily any more than he made Boaz leave the city that day, any more than he made the man sell that field to Boaz 15 years ago. We don't know. Like, why did the man sell the field to Boaz so that it was Boaz, so that then Ruth could be in it and he would come out of the city? I mean, you can't, you can't unravel it, right? God, it's not that. It's that God works our own wills to his purpose. You can't sort it out, so don't get caught trying to work it all out. It's like, is God making that person do that? No, God is using our will to his purpose. Just accept that God works all of these things to himself. And as Christians, we find peace in the knowledge that God is in control, that God seeks to align even the smallest circumstances to our good as we seek refuge in him. When we act obediently like Naomi, when we seek refuge like Ruth, God is working all of those things to our purpose and to his purposes in our life. God has provisions and plans for every day in history and every day in the future that we cannot imagine. But he has the plans laid out for every person in his creation. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's what Naomi and Ruth are counting on, that God is at work in these things, that Ruth doesn't just stumble into this field by accident, but God is planning it. That Ruth doesn't just, or that Boaz doesn't just happen to go out to the field for lunch, but that God is planning it, that that would be the salvation of Ruth and Naomi. So here in this book, we keep in mind that God has made a way in his law to care for Naomi and Ruth even. The actual Naomi and Ruth and the archetypes that Naomi and Ruth represent, the nation of Israel and us. God created laws of mercy in order to make for himself a nation of merciful people. Right? That they, like Boaz, if they follow his law, then they would be a merciful people who would show mercy to people and stories like Ruth and Naomi would be commonplace. Right? None of God's laws or plans are by accident. They're for our good. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about that law of gleaning again. Right? In Deuteronomy 24, 19, God made a law for his nation of Israel. And Boaz would someday follow that law. And the law is this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the traveler, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. That's the law God made. Now, do you think God didn't know that one day Ruth would need that law and that Boaz would obey it? God knew that Ruth would need that law and all the Ruths in between and all the Ruths since. God knows that his people have to be a merciful people who understand the law of generosity and that travelers and widows and the fatherless need the gleaning. So God gave a law, he knew Ruth would, would need it, and he knew Boaz would obey it. It's all part of the provision of God. So more generally, that God knows that thousands of people need that law. That God knows that millions of people need his Christian church, his body of believers to be men and women like Boaz who follow his law. Not specifically the law of leaving a sheaf behind in your field, I don't have a wheat field to leave a sheaf behind in. But that we're not closed-fisted, that we're not greedy, that we are open with people who are in need, that when we have that extra 20 bucks in our pocket, we don't really need that 20 bucks. We can give it to somebody who needs it. When we have that extra slice of pizza, whatever it is, that we are just generous. We're open-handed people. That is the picture God is painting. 
And it's the provision that God provides in his planning for us. And our peace and our hope lay in knowing that. That nothing God does by accident, that nothing that happens in our life is by accident, that everything is arranged by God so that people who seek refuge in him, people who follow him, will find that peace and find that hope. God intends for his people to be a people of mercy in order that God can provide his care for those that need it through us. Right? If Boaz didn't follow the law, God would take care of Ruth and Naomi anyway. But because Boaz followed the law, God could use Boaz to provide his mercy. And that's the people he wants us to be. Okay, back to Ruth. That was sort of a little aside. Back to Ruth. Ruth as a picture of our response to Boaz as our response to Jesus and God's care for us. In verse 7, she says, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so notice here for us the response of Ruth, that she takes advantage of this mercy by being up and out to work. She receives the mercy that God has provided. Okay, God has mercy out there, but we don't always see it or receive it or take it. And it's not that God isn't merciful. It's not that the mercy isn't there. It's that we don't apprehend it. I love that word, apprehend. That we don't grasp it. That we don't see it and know it and then take hold of it. And what we have in Ruth is a person who sees the mercy of God and she apprehends it. She takes hold of it. She knows the mercy is there. She just has to receive it. And if our lives are bitter like Naomi and Ruth's, we need to know God and his word well enough that we're aware of his mercy when it's around us and we don't miss it. Ruth knew the mercy was there because she knew the law of gleaning. She knew that gleaning was something that she could do, that that was provided for her right? She, Naomi and Ruth had, a, 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 at that time, a law fluency, but in our case, a biblical fluency, so that, we, that they didn't miss the mercy when it was there. Ruth recognized that God gave her health to be able to work, that God provided fields of grain. He had removed the famine, and there was a bountiful harvest, that he provided this law of mercy that would allow her to work in those fields. Ruth saw it. Hey, I'm healthy. There's grain. There's a law that says I can work. God's good. And so she apprehended that mercy. She didn't just lay in bed waiting for breakfast to show up and saying, why isn't God good to us? How come my bank account's not bigger? She saw the mercy of God, and she apprehended it. She went and got it. And as Christians, we need to be sensitive to this too. We need a sensitivity to and a fluency in the ways of God so that we can recognize his mercy when it's present and also that we need to act upon the mercy when it's present. Because, I mean, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of sometimes thinking when things are hard in my life or something's bad happening in my family, there's sickness or there's whatever, and I think, why is this happening? And why isn't God better to me? And why doesn't God do this? And then I have to slap myself sometimes and say, Paul, you fool. <laughs> Count your blessings, buddy. God is merciful in so many thousand ways. You just have to get off your butt and go get the mercy that's out there. It's there for you if you'll act on it. And so in a case like Ruth's, we have health, we have ordered society, we have laws in place, we have employment law, we have the ability to work, we have a stable economy. You know, God says, Jesus says, God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. His mercy is poured out on anyone who will have it. But we have to apprehend that mercy. And so in Ruth, we have a woman who responds to the mercy of God. 
who doesn't just sit apathetically, but she responds to the mercy that's present. And so now as Ruth gleans, Boaz takes notice of her, and so we really get to the heart of this chapter where Ruth's response to the mercy of Boaz, and stick with me on this because we're sort of painting this mural or we have this movie going, and it's sort of reaching its focal point, and it's this critical moment where Ruth now responds to Boaz directly. And Boaz says to Ruth in verses 8 to 10, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young men. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now here's the deal. Ruth knows that she's a Moabite woman. She has two strikes against a foreign woman, and she's a widower as well. So she's a foreigner, and she's a widow, and she's a Moabite, which God has said we're going to have nothing to do with at one point. And so she doesn't resent it. She acknowledges it. She knows that she has no standing before Boaz. And when Boaz shows her favor, she bows to the ground. Humble people are even more humble when they're blessed, right? She's astonished at the kindness of Boaz. Today, people are astonished if they get overlooked, right? You know, people are like, hey, how come I'm not getting my due here? Does not, nobody see my need, right? Humble people become even more humble when they're blessed. They realize if there's a humility there in their heart, they realize that when they're blessed, it's more than they could have imagined. And they're astonished when they're blessed. That's their humility coming out. And that's Ruth. She's astonished at the kindness of Boaz, right? But God is painting a picture for us here, of how we're to recognize and respond to his mercy shown directly through his servants. Ruth is a picture of how we are to bear ourselves in the empty and bitter seasons of our lives. Ruth is not in a good place, and yet she bears herself with humility, with politeness, with dignity. She's thankful for every mercy that's shown to her. She and Naomi are examples of humility and thankfulness for the grace and mercy that are shown to them, and they are to be examples for us for the grace and mercy that's shown to us. I mean, Ruth, for all she knows at this point, is not entitled to anything. She doesn't know Boaz is a redeeming relative. Naomi doesn't remember that Boaz is a redeeming relative. This is just some guy who, in some field, and she doesn't know she should have anything, and anything she reser- re- gets is more than she deserves, and it's pure mercy, and that's how we should respond to God. Stepping back and looking at the big picture of our lives, our sin, our rebellion, and we hold that up against God's grace and Jesus on the cross and the mercy that's offered. Couldn't we say the exact same thing that Ruth says? Why have I found favor? Why should you take notice of me? Since I'm a foreigner. That's where we all stand. We're all foreigners to God. He did not have to leave heaven. He's a deity. We're human. We're not part of his family. No matter what people might tell you, how we're all God's children. We're not. We're rebels. We are foreigners. Until he chooses to draw us into his family and make foreigners family. And so when Ruth says, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Since I'm a foreigner... You realize in the Psalms that that the praise of these psalmists, these writers, David and others, is the exact same thing. Psalm 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him? Why, God, do you care? Or in Psalm 144, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the Son of Man that you think of him? This is the proper response of us to the mercy of God. Ruth is a picture of how we are to respond to the mercy of Jesus. But then Boaz answers her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And so notice that Boaz doesn't answer. Notice his answer is not, Well, favor and grace are free, so you can just have them. He doesn't say that. Right? He does give a reason for his favor. Excuse me. There is a reason for the favor of God. Does it mean that mercy is earned? Is what Boaz saying here is that Ruth is working for Boaz and therefore she's earned the gleaning as some sort of wage? Right? That's not what he's saying either. It's so important here, the picture that is painted and how exactly Boaz responds. Because he doesn't say it's free, but he doesn't say she earned it either. Not really. The picture that God paints here is in verse 12. In the answer that Boaz answers, it's very different. It's neither free nor earned. The mercy Boaz is showing is not about what Ruth has done for Boaz or Boaz rewarding her for her actions. She hasn't earned anything from Boaz. The mercy of Boaz that Boaz is showing is he's showing it because of God. Boaz is showing her mercy not as payment for good works, but as a reward for placing her faith in the right place. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's why there's mercy. That's why Boaz is blessing her. Because she's come to take refuge in the right place. The highlight of Ruth's action is that she's taken refuge in the right place. That the interaction of Ruth and Boaz, it's a fantastic picture of our salvation. Boaz is the redeemer. Ruth seeking refuge. Boaz recognizing her will to return and rewarding that will. Not because she worked to earn it. Because it's the desire of her heart to seek refuge in the God of Israel. Again, I go to the psalmist who just gets so much right, obviously, (laughs) about praising God for the right reasons. And in Psalm 57, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for because in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until the storms of destruction pass by. Psalm 57 is Ruth right there taking refuge and God being merciful because we seek refuge there. So if we continue to learn from this picture of God's wise planning and His grace and His mercy that's extended to us, we have to learn this. We have to learn the next thing. We have to learn from Ruth that that grace and that mercy that's extended to us, God will be merciful every time that we take refuge in Him. That's His desire. That he is waiting for us to return to his refuge, just like the prodigal son returning to the father. Right? There's a reason that parable is that parable and paints that picture. Because he wants to make us part of his family. He wants to take a Moabite woman and make her part of Israel. He wants to take a widow and a foreigner and bring her into Boaz's family and give her a husband and descendants. 
The peace of God comes to us not because we've acted a certain way or done the right works or we've worked for our salvation or we've done enough volunteer hours or we've done enough at the church. The peace of God comes to us as a direct result of simply taking refuge of him, of desiring God as our one true refuge and putting our faith in him and handing our trouble over to him and resting in the knowledge of him that God is bigger, stronger, wiser, more magnificent than any of our sins and any of our hurts. And the peace of God comes from taking refuge in that right place in him. You remember the words of Jesus, and I used this a few weeks ago when I was speaking on compassion. Jesus saying the same thing over Jerusalem in Luke 13. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. That's God waiting for us. Right? And Boaz saw it in Ruth. He said it literally. He said the same thing in Psalms and, in, in, and what Jesus said to Jerusalem. He said, you have found refuge under the right wings. So don't leave my field. Don't put your eyes anywhere else. Don't leave the protection that I'm providing you. The peace now. What a difference a day makes. Ruth reports back to Naomi. So finally, Ruth... Ruth goes back to Naomi and everything that has happened and reports the whole thing, the gleaning and meeting Boaz and the extra grain and the shared lunch and the protection of his fields and the provision of the food and water. And wow, Ruth has about a week's worth of grain just from one day gleaning, you know, because Boaz is like, oh, let her, you know, just leave some behind and, you know, let her glean among you and just give her some food, basically. <laughs> just, you know, Boaz just wants to bless her. And so Naomi asks, where did you glean today? Where have you worked, right? She comes home with all this barley, like a week's worth. And she's like, where were you? Blessed is this man who took notice of you. And at this point, neither of them really recognize, nobody knows who they is yet. And it'd be interesting to see the look on Naomi's face. Probably as much or more amazement than Ruth had at the mercy of Boaz, because how could Naomi expect such great mercy? But notice again that Naomi knows exactly who to give the credit to. Ruth says, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, Daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And the light finally goes on for Naomi. Now she remembers that she has family. She remembers Boaz. She remembers that he... Again, she says, one of our redeemers, Naomi, knows the law. Naomi knows the provisions of God. Naomi is biblically fluent. Naomi is saturated in the law of God. She's aware of the nature and the character of God. She knows that there is a redemption for her in Boaz because a way has been provided for the kinsman redeemer in the law of God. And so Naomi had forgotten about Boaz, but she immediately recognizes God's mercy. And she teaches Ruth something here, too. Naomi is theologically fluent. She's so knowledgeable about God that she knows that the redemption is at hand. And you can imagine Naomi going, there was this hope, but there wasn't peace yet. You can imagine the immediate peace that Naomi has now that God is going to provide for her. Because from this point on, Naomi only speaks confidently of what is going to happen. Okay, she's like the mother-in-law. She's the typical Jewish mother-in-law, and she knows how it's going to go for her daughter-in-law. And there's going to be this man. You just wait, dear. It's going to happen. This man, he's got his eye on you. You're going to get married. Just wait. Just you stick with him, and it'll go fine. 
right? She knows what's going to happen, right? She'd forgotten about Boaz, but now she remembers. And if you look at the end there, she says, I'll hit it because it's important how she responds. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord. He's a close, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides that, he said, keep by my close men until they finish my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter. It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young, men, his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. And so she kept close. And Naomi knows that it's good. Like, what's going on here? This is good. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's taken notice of Ruth. That is no accident that she came home with a week's worth of barley from this guy. Right? Naomi knows the mercy of God and what's going on here. And so she now moves from this place of hopelessness to hope, a place from lack of peace to peace. And as Christians, we need to be like Ruth and Naomi. We need to not be surprised by our circumstances when they're hard. We shouldn't be surprised when they're tough. But we need to be rightly astonished and grateful for mercy when it, when it appears. And we need to seek the refuge of God, knowing that it's in the refuge of God that our hope and our peace ultimately lie. Our peace does not lie in our circumstances. Our peace cannot be found in having a bigger house or a bigger bank account or more cars or a better health care system. Or, I mean, all those circumstance things, they do not contribute to your peace. You can have all those things and have no peace. But if you find refuge in God, you can have nothing and yet have peace. God works all things because he's sovereign, he's bigger, he's greater, he's mightier than all the circumstances in our lives. And he is waiting to pour out his mercy on those that find refuge in him. As we find refuge in God, that's where our mercy will come from. That's where our peace will come from. And God uses grace and mercy to draw us more tightly to himself. That when we are in need of those things and we bring ourselves under the refuge of God, his mercy and his grace shown to us draw us more tightly to him because he wants a relationship with us. He wants us drawn to him. He wants us adjusted into the correct position of gratitude for his favor and drawing us deeper under his wings so that we never leave that refuge. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I say that because the God of Ruth is the God that we have today. Okay? That all the little circumstances of, of things that were going on, her being in this field and Boaz showing up and every, the timing being just right and all of that stuff, that's how God is working in your life too. That God's mercy is poured out. It, it's out there. But we have to be biblically fluent. We have to be closely, we have to be knowledgeable of the character of God. We have to be such good friends with God that we know God so well that we see his mercy when it's out there, and then we apprehend it. We don't become these Christians that just grumble and say, oh, why couldn't God be more merciful to me? You know, lay in bed waiting for what? Like a, what are you waiting for? God's mercy is out there for those who apprehend it. We need to be like Ruth and respond to God's mercy. Our peace lies in seeking refuge in the right place. And I go back just to finish on the reality of this fact that as Ruth is to Israel, we are foreigners to heaven. But God is willing to make us citizens of heaven if we're willing to find refuge in him and his mercy and his grace. 
And so I would just pray that if we're seeking peace today, if anyone is looking for peace, you can find it in God. If anybody hasn't found it yet, you'll find it in God. As you're seeking peace, look for it in the refuge of God because he will not disappoint. He will bless. Let's pray. Father God, just give you thanks again for your word. And I just pray that as I speak water, (laughs) that people would hear wine, that your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes to your greatness, to your glory, to your passion for us, that you would be glorified in our lives as we turn to you. I thank you for the example of Ruth. I thank you for the man that Boaz was and that you made him. I thank you that this is a history and also a picture for us of who we are to be. Father, I thank you that you chose to work through a Moabite widow and put her in the genealogy of Jesus. Father, there are so many different ways that you show us that no matter how foreign we are, no matter how weak we are, no matter how undeserving we are, you have every intention of making us part of your royal family. And so, Father, I just pray that that would settle in our hearts today, that we would walk out of here with a deep-seated sense of peace, that although we were foreigners, you welcomed us into your family. I thank you that at this time of Christmas, that you decided to invade a foreign land, that you sent your son into a rebellious world, and he could have just stayed safe in heaven. But he chose to come down here in the mud and the squalor and the violence and the foolishness to save us. Incredible. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that our peace lies solely in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.